If you know the story in the Old Testament and Judges about the guy Samson who was particularly stronger than everybody else and there's those amazing counts of the victories he had sometimes with the most peculiar things like as with a donkey's jaw and how many he killed and how many victories he won in the most peculiar ways and no one knew the secret of his strength you know it's obvious if people didn't realise why he was strong it must have been he couldn't have looked super muscly you know he couldn't have looked naturally strong because they said I don't really understand why are you so strong Samson and in the end they found out that Samson's secret was his long hair. That was the secret of his strength was in his hair. And in Nehemiah... <laughs> yes! In, in Nehemiah 8, it says, The joy of the Lord is your strength. Amen. And so we're going to unpack that this morning. Because it would be great for the world to be looking at the church and looking at us and saying, I don't get how you're so strong. Because you look just like me, and your circumstances are like my circumstances, but you seem to have a joy about you that I don't know anything about. Where do you get your joy? And so that's in Nehemiah chapter 8, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Thinking right about God is the number one priority if you want to be filled with joy having a right perspective on who God is and how God sees you is the number one priority if we want to be men and women who overflow joy. That people would look at us and say, where did you get your strength from? Where did you get your joy from? So if we believe that God is ticked off with us, irritated with us, frustrated with us, and just angry with us when we don't do brilliantly. And if at the same time we're really aware of our own imperfections, that all of us have got limitations, imperfections, blind spots, we don't get everything right. If we believe that God is essentially angry, frustrated and irritated, and we look at ourselves and think, well, I can see why, because I'm so imperfect, then it's impossible to believe that God rejoices over you with singing. That having a right view of God and a right view of how he sees us is absolutely key to having that experience of, I know he sings over me with ecstatic joy and delight. It's what Nehemiah is saying, the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And having a right view on God and a right view on how he sees you is the key to having joy. See, God isn't like you and me. Not a surprise, is it? (laughs) He's not like you and me. We're made happy, we're made joyful by something happening to us. So we can feel happiness or joy when um, circumstances shift. We can feel happy or joy when we are looking forward to something. We can feel joy when we receive a gift or something's given to us. We can feel joyful when we feel we're progressing well and we're performing well. We can feel joyful when maybe we get that promotion that we always hoped for. We can feel joyful when that relationship we long to have happens Often, 
we are dependent on something externally happening to us for our joy. So many of us suffer with what could be described as destination disease. I will be joyful when. When this lines up, when this circumstance is sorted, when the people in my life are all doing what I need them to do, when everything in me feels good, when I'm progressing, when I'm promoted, when I'm recognised, when I'm celebrated. And so we can often find ourselves postponing joy until something lines up. And we can believe that's how God is about us. That God will be joyful about us, that God would rejoice over us with singing when we're performing better, when X, Y and Z is sorted. But Nehemiah is saying, may the joy of the Lord be your strength. In other words, God is joyful within himself. God in his nature is always joyful. He's not like us. He doesn't go through a moment when we can feel angry. And when we're angry, we're not joyful. And when we're joyful, we're not feeling sad. He can, he can experience everything all at the same time within himself. Because his joy has nothing to do with anything conditional happening. Anything external taking place. And Nehemiah in chapter 8 and, uh, and verse... And verse 10 is saying, the joy of the Lord is your strength. God is saying, I'm inviting you into my reality. He's inviting us into a reality where joy can be our strength (laughs) by being our ever-constant reality. There's a joy available from God that's not dependent upon reaching a destination, that's not dependent upon a set of circumstances working out, it's not dependent on something happening to us. There's a joy that we can connect to, which is God's ever-constant joy. So Galatians talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Part of the fruit of the Spirit is, is the nature of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is... Joyful, constantly, all the time. You can't take God (coughs) hostage or control God and control God's joy levels. He will rejoice over you with singing. He will be ecstatic about you. He will delight over you all the time. Whatever you are going through and whether you are hot, cold, lukewarm, whatever towards him, he is joyful towards you. And that's the joy that becomes our strength. His joy has nothing to do with your progress, your perfection, or your performance. I'm going to prove it to you from these verses because I can see you're looking at me and saying, "Well, this will be over in a this will be over in a little while, and uh, I can go back. <laughs> I can go back to my misery." <laughs> God is happy within himself. He is always essentially and completely happy. 1 Timothy 1.11 says the gospel of the blessed God. Blessed means the gospel of the happy God. The gospel of the ecstatically joyful God. Jesus was anointed with the oil of gladness above his contemporaries. Someone said... 
Um, a joyful Jesus messes up with our theology. <laughs> <laughs> You're no stronger than your joy levels. You're no stronger than the joy that you have. Because joy is strength. And next week we'll say that joy is good medicine. <laughs> joy is good medicine. So in Nehemiah 8 then, book of Nehemiah, generation before under Ezra, they've rebuilt the temple, but the walls of the city of Jerusalem are still in wreck and ruin, and, and Nehemiah hears about that, and God lays on his heart to rebuild the walls, and he, Nehemiah travels for four months to get to Jerusalem to see the state of the walls, walks around it communicates what God's laid on his heart to do for the people, to do for the city, to do for the glory of God, to restore the city with its walls so that Jerusalem can be restored to its former glory. And so the story of Nehemiah, he does that. Sometimes it's, it's through the context of mockery and intimidation from the enemy in that area saying, if a, if a fox jumped on what you're building, it would fall over. Sometimes it was through distraction. Come, Nehemiah, come down from the wall. You don't need to build the wall. Come and meet me in the valley of Ono. Sometimes it was through accusation and about his motivation. We know why you want to build the wall. You want to usurp the king. You want to take a position. And sometimes it was through temptation to do something ungodly. And Nehemiah resisted all those things because God had laid on his heart a great work to do. And it says they built the walls. And then in chapter 8... The people ask that God's ways, God's law, God's commands, that the things that God had told the people of Israel through Moses, the people ask, will you tell us again those things? Will you tell us again how God thinks? Will you tell us again about our identity as followers of God? Will you tell us again about the law? Will you tell us again about the standards of God? And they've not heard it read out for a good while. And it says in chapter 8, they heard and they understood. There was a moment when they understood, wow, God's ways, God's standards, God's holiness, God's perfection, God's ways for us. We have fallen so far short of what God says. They understood. They had tender hearts. It was a precious, tender moment. And I guess for all of us, we know those moments where God comes up to us and says how you've been thinking and how you've been behaving and what your values have been and what your priorities have been are not really the priorities of heaven and my kingdom. Amen. And they had that moment, that tender-hearted moment, and they began to mourn and weep. Their initial reaction was great sadness. We don't measure up. There's a sensitive response. And Nehemiah, the name Nehemiah also means comforter. Holy Spirit's name is also comforter. Nehemiah comes to the people to comfort them. And this is the, 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 the moment that's radically challenging for us. He tells them not to put clothes of mourning on. He tells them not to look down at the floor. 
He tells them not to beat themselves up in regret. He tells them not to live in condemnation and be, in a sense, punishing yourself. And he says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. This is, the, this is a, an amazing moment. When we have revelation, like I said, about when we've let God down, we weep. We, we beat ourselves up. We regret. And Nehemiah is said, saying, those things are not going to get you very far. <laughs> The joy of the Lord is your strength. Can you see that this is in the moment of national awareness. We have let God down. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Now what we do is we say, well I'm going to weep. I'm going to beat myself up. I'm going to regret and then I'm going to work hard to perform and measure up. And when I've measured up, and I'll present myself to him as one who has now performed and measured up, then I'll have joy. Yeah. Yeah. Nehemiah is saying, no, 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 that doesn't work. That does not work. The joy of the Lord is your strength. It's joy before you measure up. It's joy before you perform. It's joy before you get it all sorted. Because God is the blessed God, the ecstatic God, the happy God. Who is rejoicing over you with singing. It's joy before the issue is sorted. So you'll never be stronger than your revelation of God is happy now. So when you feel he only delights in you, is only happy with you when you perform, perfect and get it right, you will be driven, you'll live insecure and you'll constantly live uncertain. Indeed, you'll probably be very, very legalistic and even superstitious. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Our role as believers is to line up with how he thinks. And not just say to him, this is how my world works. Or this is how a mum or a dad spoke to me. And so I'm only motivated by the idea you have to be a harsh critic of me. He says, that's not how I work. That's not how I motivate. That's not how I draw you deeper. So you might be thinking then, okay, so he's happy all the time. It really doesn't matter how I behave then, does it? (laughs) So if he's happy with me all the time, he delights in me all the time, and he's pleased with me all the time, then I can do whatever I want, can't I? 
go where I want, drink how much I want, do anything I want, spend how I want, live how I want. And the answer is, you could. It's the argument of Romans 6, you could. Tends if you want to live as a free man or woman or a slave. <laughs> See, it's good to always be in a relationship with him where you're saying, Holy Spirit, what are the lies you want to tear down? What are the walls you want to kick down? What are the ways you're coming after me right now? Holy Spirit, I'm after deep, passionate, connected intimacy with you, God. Is there anything right now that's restricting me, constricting me? Have I tried to put you in a box? Am I living in a box? Holy Spirit is 100% committed to your growth, your maturity and your experience of freedom. It says, wherever the Holy Spirit is boss, freedom. He's, he loves freedom. He's after freedom. So that's the argument of Romans 6. Grace is so powerful, you can live any way you want. But why would you go back to your old life? Yeah. In your old life, you lived as a slave to sin. You yeah. went to sin's beck and call. Sin was your master. You did what sin wanted. You did it through what you looked at, what you touched, what your priorities were, how you used your body. Now you've been set free, you can present every member of who you are to righteousness. Amen. And he yeah. says, why would you present yourself to slavery? Why would you present yourself to bondage and captivity? What did you really benefit from that way of life? Really, the only thing you benefited was the wages of that, which was death. And so the Holy Spirit wants to come alongside and lead us into places of repentance. Mm. Places where we change our mind. Places where we agree with God. Places where we hear him speak and we say, I understand and I agree with you. I'm one of your sheep. I've just heard your voice. I'm a child of obedience and now I am obeying you. Amen. Amen. See, the wrath of God is a beautiful thing. Wrath is a beautiful thing. It's an expression of love. He furiously hates the thing that robs his world, his children, of freedom. And he comes after it with fury. God so loved the world that he sent Jesus to die. Something happened in that moment that's beautiful. Wrath, propitiation, he came after sin, everything that separated us from him. He deals with it in passion. Yeah. You who are parents here, you see anything come near your kids. Oh, yeah. Anything that threatens their world. Like a bear of its cubs. It's like that, about holiness and freedom and sin. He hates it. And so he comes alongside and he will reveal and he'll expose and he'll say, this is hindering your, your growth. You need to change your mind about that. You need to repent of that. You need to turn from that. My kindness is going to lead you yes. to change your mind. Amen. Amen. My kindness is going to cause you to think about everything differently. Yeah, that's good. 
The, the issue here is, in the moment of revelation, in the moment of awareness of the Holy Spirit coming and saying, I'm pulling down that lie, I'm tearing that wall down, he's saying that the joy of the Lord is your strength in those moments of vulnerability. Amen. When you realise, I didn't get it, I didn't understand, I didn't know how love worked, I didn't know that was a priority for you, Father. I missed it, I didn't see it, now I see it. Amen. Now I'm going to be a child of obedience, I'm changing my mind about that. Papa, I didn't realise I was a slave to that. I didn't realise it was spoiling and killing and destroying relationships. Now I see that's changing. But if in that moment of revelation you go sadness because you don't measure up, intense sorrow, which is right at the beginning, there is a moment I've, I've, I've actually... I've actually contravened what's important to you. I'm so, so sorry. But Nehemiah the Comforter, Holy Spirit the Comforter says, don't stay there. Don't stay in that posture of beating yourself up, of condemnation. I'm I'm awful, I'm a worm. No, you're a son. You get off the dust. Get your feet from looking at the floor. You're a royal prince. You're a royal princess. Come back to the palace. Yes. Amen. That's good. Joy is strength. Hmm. Despair, despondency, self-punishing. These are loathsome, gross offences to the cross. The cross is ecstatic joy. He dealt with everything that could block me and a relationship with him. Yes. And Nehemiah is saying these things... As an Old Testament, Old Covenant believer who hasn't, there's the full revelation hasn't yet come. And so maybe initially there's tears, there's mourning, there's restoration, there's confession. Don't stay there. The joy of the Lord is your your strength. And so sometimes we think, oh, I wish I was. I'd grown more like this. I wish I was bearing more fruit. I wish I'd seen breakthrough here. I wish my passion for Jesus was stronger than it is. Hmm. Joy is strength to get there. Yes. He wholeheartedly loves me. Can you see the dynamic? Amen. I've had a revelation, he's torn down a wall, he's exposed a lie, I'm understanding an area that I never saw before, and he says, My joy is your strength. I love you wholeheartedly. I love you wholeheartedly. I have done everything needed for you right now to be glorious. You are glorified. What I'm doing right now, I'm working into real time who you already are. How I see you is perfected. How I see you is glorious. How I see you is glorified. I love you wholeheartedly. And that in this moment, though I'm all those things, I'm a prince. I'm holy, I'm justified, I'm a saint, I'm, I'm without spot or blemish, I'm pure, I'm seated within heavenly places. 
And yet in this moment, I'm working it out in time. I'm agreeing with God. I'm repenting. I'm connecting to Him. And I'm getting strength. It's learning to experience how much the Father loves us. I heard this great quote. The Christian life is not about proving how much we love Him. It's experiencing how much He loves us. Hmm. Amen. We're the ones who were blind. We're the ones who were dead. We're the ones who were lost. He found us. You didn't find yourself. (laughs) He found us when we had no desire for him. When we were rebellious and God hated us and an enemy. He found us. And then he did everything possible to make sure that we could come home and be loved and be brought to a safe place. If you forfeit joy until you see, then you don't have the strength to inherit. If you forfeit joy until you think you've got that area of your life mature and sorted, then you're not going to have the capacity and the strength and the resources to get there. He's so happy because his grace not only comes and brings revelation, but his grace gives the empowerment to do what the revelation says. In chapter 9, they're going to be dealing with some stuff. They're going, to be, they're going to be working through some stuff. They're going to be going back to repenting and getting it sorted and making restoration, getting stuff ironed out. Sometimes it just takes more faith to have joy than it does to cry. And joy is in our capacity to choose. So if your Christianity is weak, it's, if my beliefs are weak, it's, it's a joy issue. Hope and joy travel together. Hope is the confident expectation that good is coming. Hope is the confident expectation he's going to work it all together for good. Hope is the constant, the, the, the expectation that he knows what he's doing. Mm. It's the expectation, I don't know how he's going to do it. I just know he's going to do something good. It's not entitlement, it's not telling him how to do it. It's just that settled disposition, I've got hope. Yes. I know it's going to be okay. I know he's going to do what he said. I know he's wise. I know he's capable. And I know he loves me. And then joy is that response. Wow. 